So one of the, to me, more interesting details in church history, and there are many interesting details in church history, but one of the more interesting details is that Christianity didn't used to be called Christianity. I don't know if you knew this, but at the very beginning, right when this new movement of Jesus that happened after his death and resurrection took place, the name that it was given was simply The Way. So there's this, uh, you see this repeatedly in Acts. Like, for example, when Paul is, is being um, tried and before a judge, here's what he says. He says, I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way which others call a sect. The way. Which I don't know, it's kind of cool, right? Like, I mean, I, I almost wonder whether maybe we should bring it back. Uh, you know, like, so when people ask, so what religion are you? We just say, I go the way. I follow the way. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about this is actually the idea of the way already pushes beyond just the category of religion. If by religion we think of, you know, doing spiritual things, the way is bigger than that. The way is bigger than a set of rules. A way is bigger than just kind of a belief system. A way is talking about an entire way of life. And it was very clear in the early church that that is what it was. Christians, people who followed the way, were weird. I mean, the moment people started following Jesus, it changed everything. It changed how you did marriage. It changed how you did parenting. It changed your relationship to your own wealth. These small pockets of, of Jesus followers, the small groups of people who followed the way that called themselves churches, they would do really weird things. Like within this community, super wealthy people and slaves would greet each other as equals. Within this community, in a time where sexual exploitation was the norm, women were treated as equals and sexual exploitation was rejected. And in this small church community, during times of epidemic, they would, they would care at great cost to themselves, not only for their own sick, but for any other sick in the community. They would be known as people who loved their cities even though they were not considered patriotic because they, they said that they had allegiance to a king that was higher than the Roman emperor. They were, they were strange. It, it changed everything. It was a way. Now, interestingly, over time, and I'm not talking about 10 or 20 years, we're talking about centuries, the way became less strange, not because the way itself changed, but because the world changed around it. Over time, the influence of the gospel and Christianity started to change Western culture so that who we are as a people today is very much due to how Christianity changed it. The way that we speak of, of human rights that, that comes from the way. The way that we speak against sexual abuse, that comes from the way. The way that we think of the world as being ordered and able to be studied, it comes from the way. Again and again, what we have as part of our culture is indebted to Christianity. And so what that meant was over time, people who followed the way could kind of live in a manner more, I suppose you could say, compatible with the world around them. So for the last few centuries, there has been kind of almost a fusion, we might say, of, of following the way and, and people following the American way. What I, what I mean by that is for, for quite a while now, it has been basically possible for Christians to live lives that would appear normal by the world around them following generally the customs of the world with just a few modifications. We, we live like the world around us, except we keep sex within marriage. We, we tithe. We, we go to church on Sunday mornings. There was basically a compatibility. But that fusion no longer works. 
As, as people who are seeking to follow Jesus faithfully more and more over the last few years, maybe decades, there's a tension that's being felt where we realize we can't both be the way that's normal in this world and, and following Jesus. And so suddenly we're starting to realize again that Christianity is not just a religion, it is a way. And this is happening actually at a time where everyone is unhappy with the way, that is the way of society. Everyone is recognizing that things are broken and, and everyone is asking questions and wondering, isn't there a better way of doing things? Our series has been kind of focused and will continue to be focused kind of on two basic ideas with an application. And the first idea, as Nick said last week, is that we are currently in what we might call an age of alienation. And everyone's feeling it. An age where people are increasingly disconnected from each other, increasingly lonely. An age where people are disconnected from any sense of transcendence. A people where, an age where people are, are becoming less and less treated like human beings. And, and when you see the collective impact of this way, it is destroying us. We, we see this in increased suicide rates, increased depression, especially in our children who are the most sensitive to what's happening. And so people are asking, what is going on? We are in an age of alienation. And the second thing that we are, are saying is that, that when we understand the gospel, we need to recognize that the death and resurrection of Jesus was not just to bring a happy ending way in the future. The death of Jesus and his resurrection was meant to bring about something new now. That he came and, and died and rose again to initiate us into a new way in this world. And that way we're calling the, the way of wonder. And the application is we should seek to figure out how to live in the way that Jesus calls us to. Last week, Nick began to kind of tease this out for us by talking about the way of wonder as it relates to ourselves. That when Jesus died and rose again, he restored those of us who trust in him into a relationship where we are God's children, loved by him. And we are loved not in some kind of idealized, perfected version of us, but the person that God loves is the weird, quirky, very limited, particular people that each of us are. And so, when we begin to understand that, we realize we don't need to be more than what we are. We don't need to transcend our limits or somehow become superhuman in a way that our culture seems to strive for. We can just be ourselves and accept our limits and be creatures. That is part of the way of wonder. This morning, I want us to consider how this way of wonder relates to our relationship to creation, to, to nature, we might say. And, and to begin with that, to, to do that, I want us just to think about how disconnected from the created world we have become. So about a decade ago, there was a novel that came out, Ready Player One, maybe some of you read it, or more recently, there was a movie based on the novel. If you haven't read it, it it's science fiction. It takes place, it's supposed to be like 30 or 40 years from now, in a time where technology has continued to increase, as you might expect, and the world has become increasingly unpleasant. And so what people do with all their free times is basically engage in virtual reality. They stick their bodies in these machines that simulate things, and then their brains go wherever they want to go. You can go to different planets, meet new people. You can jump into Back to the Future and experience the 1980s again. There's all sorts of cool things you can do through virtual reality. 
And it seems really fun, except there is this question that is just kind of nagging throughout the whole story, and I'm not even sure the author knows what to do with it. And that is, what is lost? What is lost as our bodies lie dormant in, in this virtual reality? What is lost if there is this complete disconnection between the world, between the trees, and, and all of these things, and us? Now, is this our future? I, I don't know. But I would suggest that viewed from the perspective of human history, from almost every generation, at least a few hundred years ago and before, we are way closer to that reality than we probably realize. We are so deeply disconnected from the created world in a way that we're barely conscious of. We talked about this a couple weeks ago for those of us who were in Sunday school, but just think for a moment what it was like to live a few hundred years ago. It was unavoidable that you would have a close connection to the created world because your life literally depended upon it. If you were a farmer, and not just even if you were a farmer, anyone who lived in the village, your ability to eat would depend on if there was the right amount of sun, if there was the right amount of rain for crops to grow. You were paying attention. Your whole season, your, your, your life would be organized by seasons. Your spring would be about planting. The summer would be about maintaining. Fall would be about harvesting. Winter about storage. Your, your, your year was organized according to the rhythms of the world. And, and so was your day. Candles were expensive. So your day began when the sun rose, and your day basically ends where the sun sets. You were attuned to so much about this world. Even if you were not a farmer, even if you were a traveler, say you were a merchant, you, the, the ship that you were on would be navigating by the, the countless number of stars in the sky. You would be following the wind. You would be paying attention to the storms that were coming. By necessity, you were incredibly connected to this created world. And I want us to just think for a moment about how different it is today. And I want to do that by just kind of sharing a, a moment that a few hundred years ago would seem ridiculous, but to us right now seems so boring it doesn't even feel like worthy of talking about it. That is a trip that I took to Costco. So middle of the winter, it was, it was already getting dark, snow had just kind of fallen, and, uh, and I realized, oh, I needed to do a, a Costco run, as, as you do. And... Um, if this were a few hundred years earlier, of course, I wouldn't have even thought about this. Walking four miles through the snow in the dark to get to the market would, would not be even something I would think of. Of course you wouldn't, but, you know, I could just hop in my SUV and in this, like, metal machine of superpowers, right, I take no effort and I'm suddenly able to go, like, 65 miles an hour on the highway. These roads that have been paved with asphalt so that I don't have to worry about going through fields or forests. These big... Gigantic snow plows have cleared the snow for me, and even though it's dark, I can see fine because of my own lights and the street lights. And then I finally pull into the parking lot, and really, that is literally the only time I have to be outdoors from the moment I leave the car to get into Costco in this whole trip. And the moment I, I get there, you know, I wave my plastic card with my badge, and the person lets me in. And as I've stepped into Costco, there is no indication of whether it's day or night, whether it's summer or winter, because all I get is bathed with fluorescent lights and warmth, and I have no idea what's going on outside according to how, at least how my body feels. 
I pushed the cart around. I started grabbing things. I pulled this bag of salad. And it's just, you know, these nondescript kind of like vegetable parts. And it doesn't even, I don't even know what I'm getting at the time. I haven't thought about cabbage or, or peppers. I certainly haven't thought about the farms and the whole process, how these, how these different plants have grown to produce these things. I, I go to the meat section and I get, you know, one of those four packs of pork tenderloin. Our family uses it all the time. But to state the obvious, it's not like I'm getting like something that's obviously pig. I'm getting these two pink tubes wrapped in plastic. And I have absolutely no connection in my mind to the idea that there were four lives that were lived. And I don't have to wonder, were these pigs happy? Was it stinky? Like, like all I know is I've got this kind of like pink substance that will be yummy. I, I get some paper towels and I don't think about the trees that once were. I don't think at all about any of these things, how they traveled over, over train or maybe ships from China or South America. They're just here. And I go to check out and I don't have to like trade or barter with like giving them some hens or something like that. I don't even have to give pieces of gold. I just like wave my plastic card and boom, I'm out. And a few minutes later, I've brought my food home. There is almost no connection to the created world in that whole process, which is crazy if you think about it from any other era than ours. And, and that's not even to think about how we these days can kind of get into this metal tube that's able to fly almost supersonic speed so that in, within the same day, we can suddenly be on the other side of the world and we haven't seen anything in between. It's not like we go through the mountains or the ocean. We just kind of boom, we're there. We haven't talked even about the way that we are with everything being mediated by a screen. Like, so I oftentimes I'm sitting in my, the back of my house and I'm looking out and I can see the sidewalk. And how many times have I seen someone walking a dog and you know what they're doing with their other hand? They're just walking and looking at a screen at the same time as if the last thing they want to do is actually see the world around them. And what I want to ask is, what have we lost in this? I mean, we understand, I think, why, at least a portion of why we do this. This world, it's not the way it was meant to be. There is a brokenness to this world, and so it's made harder, and it sometimes doesn't feel very safe. And so a lot of these things that we've done are to protect ourselves and, and to give us a greater sense of comfort, and a lot has been gained that is good. Make no mistake. But what have we lost? What have we lost by being so disconnected from the created world? Is it, is it a relatively small thing, just kind of one of the inevitable outworkings of progress that we shouldn't really think that much about? Or, or have we lost something that is very core to who we are as human beings? So I was listening to an interview with Andy Crouch. He's just finished, uh, just published a book called The Life You're Looking For, which I really like, highly recommend. But in this, in this interview, he was talking about a practice that he has begun over the last few years to do as a way of kind of becoming more human, you might say. And he says every morning after he makes his tea, because that is what civilized people do, after he makes his tea, before he ever looks at a screen, he steps outside. It doesn't matter when of the time of the year it is, even if it's winter, he'll step outside for a few seconds. Even if he's traveling, he'll leave the hotel, even if it's just for a short while. But he will step outside before he looks at any screen. And, and here's what he says. He says, the deep thing I realized was happening to me as I did this is I was feeling like a creature. I am a very small creature 
in this big, beautiful, mysterious, terrible, wonderful world made by God. And he said, having that repeated experience he found was incredibly freeing. And I want to suggest to you that this, this way that we have embodied and lived in where we've become increasingly disconnected from the creative world, this is what we have lost. We have increasing, or it's not necessarily we've lost, we are increasingly losing the sense that we are creatures, small in this big, beautiful, mysterious world made by God. So in our passage, where, you know, Revelation 4 and 5 was read, and, and there's a lot of details that we can't get into. It obviously kind of feels very trippy, as apocalyptic literature does. But, but what I want us to understand from the outset is actually this is a picture that's telling us something about the way we're supposed to relate to creation. So we have John being brought in a vision to the throne room. He is seeing things from a heavenly perspective, seeing things the way they are meant to be. And, and you have God in the center, the one who reigns over all. And then we're told there are 24 elders, the number corresponding to the 12 apostles and 12 tribes. These people represent the people of God. They have crowns. They are on thrones under God's dominion. But even nearer to God, you see these four really strange Creatures. One is like a lion, the king of the beasts. One is like an oxen, the king of the domesticated animals. One is like an eagle, the king of that all who fly. And one is like a human being, the one who reigns over all of them. They are covered with eyes, meaning they see, they fly wherever. They are the witnesses of creation. In some ways, you could say these four creatures represent nature. They represent the created world as they are gathered around the throne. And what we hear them doing is just constantly singing. Again and again, they are singing this simple song with joy back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty God, who was and is and is to come there. In some ways, just kind of singing the second verse of the song that if you've ever read Isaiah 6 was sung first by the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the song that creation is singing. A song where they are speaking of God's glory, where they are honoring him as king, where they are filled with gratitude. And what happens after it says the 24 elders, the people of God, they fall down on their faces, they take off their crowns. In response, they join in in the song of creation. They hear creation's song and they join in in worship with gratitude out of love for their God. This, this is how things are supposed to be. Creation is, is declaring the beauty and greatness of God and we are supposed to somehow hear it and pay attention and respond with awe and wonder. And, and this is what we are losing as we disconnect ourselves from the world around us. I say we are losing because it has not yet been lost. There are moments that we can think of where we actually experience this very thing happening in our lives. So we are now in this kind of weird season where we're not quite in summer, but you have these occasional glimpses that we're getting close, right? And, and so there's these occasional days where we move from gray and rainy to something magical, where it's like in the 70s, and we feel the warmth of the sun, and there's a breeze, and, and these trees, once barren, are now covered with just little hints of color. 
And, and you hear birds beginning to really kind of get into it. Like they're enjoying themselves. And there's this back and forth call with all these different things. And if you're listening just enough, it's almost like you can hear the bird saying, holy is the Lord Almighty. We're in an area where it's very hard to see the sky during the nighttime. But if you drive outside of the Chicago area, if you get kind of in the middle of the country in the nighttime and, and you look up, what you see, maybe to someone's surprise, is that the sky is covered with stars. And what's just crazy to think about is some of the stars, the light that you're seeing, originated before Jesus even stepped foot on earth. It, the, the universe is vast, and each star in their own way is declaring the vastness, the greatness of the God who made them. Some of us have had the joy, even within the last year, of, of seeing a newborn come into this world. And when you hold this child in your arms, you're looking and you realize that nine months ago, this living person didn't even exist. And as you put your finger in their little hand and their hand kind of grafts around it and you sense their fragility, you also see this something amazing. There's a wonder and, and the breath almost, you can almost hear this baby saying to you, glory. Together, if we, if we just have an attentiveness, even still the world continues its song, singing, holy and glorious is the Lord Almighty. And as it sings, it is saying, and you are a small creature in this beautiful, marvelous, terrifying, mysterious world made by God. That is how this world functions. It's meant to function. And I actually think that is part of the reason that we have removed ourselves away because there is a part of ourselves who don't want to think of ourselves as small, vulnerable, dependent creatures before God. Like the people of Babel many, many, many centuries ago who used their technology to build a tower that helped them feel invulnerable because they wanted to feel godlike, we use our technology now to try to protect ourselves and make ourselves feel strong and superhuman so that we don't have to think about being creatures. But what have we lost? I mean, we've lost a connection to ourselves, haven't we? Because no matter how many superhuman powers we have through technology, we will always be creatures. We will always be small and dependent. And to try to be something else means that we disconnect ourselves from who we are. And it can even hurt us if we forget that we are people who need rest, that we're people who need rhythms, that we're people who have limitations. As we forget our creatureliness, we become disconnected from ourselves and less human. What's more, as we disconnect ourselves from this world, we lose our sense of place. There is something, I think, fundamental to the very human spirit where we were meant to have a home, a place where we put roots, a community and a land that we have a responsibility to care for. And as we disconnect ourselves from that, there is something that we feel fundamentally that is missing. We need roots to go down somewhere. And what's more, we lose our connection to the transcendent God. If, if, if this world is meant to declare to us God is glorious in a way that's supposed to lead us to joy and gratitude, is it any wonder that in an era where we are more disconnected from the world around us than ever before, God seems less real than ever before. 
This is what we're talking about when we're saying this experience of alienation. It is disconnecting from things that fundamentally make us human. And that is the state in which we find ourselves. But I want to return one more time to Revelation. So you have this beautiful experience in chapter 4 of creation singing and God's people responding. But then in chapter 5, there is this kind of note of, of fear, of concern. There's this mysterious scroll that appears. And, and the scroll symbolizes the future. It, it declares the things that are going to happen to this creation, to people. The one who is able to open it is the one who is able to bring it about and understand it. And, and John is weeping because no one can do it. There is no one who is qualified to bring this world to where it needs to go or to even understand what's going to happen with this world until Jesus steps into the scene. Jesus, the angel says, is the one who is worthy. And so Jesus takes the scroll and the moment he does, creation once again sings out with awe and wonder. And, and here's the song, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There is so much that's happening here that we can't talk about. I just want to zero in on one small but significant detail here. And that is what we see here is a song about what Jesus has done through salvation. And what I want you to notice is the salvation that Jesus has brought about doesn't lift us out of this world, away from these things. The salvation restores us to this world. Do you notice the song says, you ransomed people by your blood. That's the description of salvation. You have saved people by dying. And notice the destination. This is what happens because of salvation. You have made them kingdom and priests and they shall reign. Where? On heaven? No. They shall reign on the earth. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is restoring us to the role that we were always meant for in this world with this creation. This is why in Romans, Paul says that creation right now is groaning. It is groaning with longing. What is it longing for? It's longing for us to take on the role that we were meant for, it says. Because this creation will not be whole until we are restored to our place, governing it and caring for it and having the relationship with we are always meant for. I've said this two weeks ago. I'll say it again. When God resurrects Jesus, when he raises Jesus' body, God is saying yes to this created world. And when he, he makes Jesus' body now whole, without any failing, he is promising this is where the world is going. And what we see is he is also restoring us to our relationship to this created world so that we govern it and also that we enjoy it. So again, Paul in 1 Timothy 4, he's talking to Timothy, and Timothy has some people in the church who feel like we really shouldn't enjoy the world a whole lot because we're made for heaven. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You need to enjoy food. People should get married. These are good things. And he says that, that the things that are good in this world were created by God to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It is your duty to enjoy the good things of this world. 
To, to delight in them, not to consume them. That's a very different thing. But to, to love, to pay attention to, to be filled with gratitude as we understand that this is the way that God has created things to be. This is what Jesus has restored us to. This is the way of wonder that we're talking about. When Jesus died and rose again, he restored us to be rulers, to be kings, to reign on this earth, to govern this world, and to enjoy it fully. And I would love to spend a lot longer talking about what that means. How do we live out this way of wonder, returning to our creatureliness in this world? But we won't spend lots of time. We don't have time. But I do want to just kind of make a nod in one direction. And that is the way of wonder again and again, you'll hear the same thing. It begins with attention and gratitude. If we want to move towards, when you have a world that is constantly pushing you away, it takes effort on our parts to once again turn our attention to the world around us and allow it to fill us with gratitude. And the, the question I'd like you to consider this week is, how can I spend more attention on this world that God has given and respond more in gratitude? And if you want suggestions, these are not rules. They're not saying you need to, but if you're looking for ideas of things you might do, let me just offer three suggestions for ways that we might do this as we seek to walk in this way of wonder. One you might try is the very thing that Andy Crouch mentioned. What would it look like for this week, every morning, before you look at a screen, before your brain starts going in this other direction, to just step outside for a little while, hear the birds, smell the outdoors, and remember again in that moment that you are a creature. How would that affect you? Let's find out. Or, or maybe what you need to do is just kind of slow your attention down. Um, there was a, this Christian English professor by the name of Clyde Kilby who, who made a personal resolution. Once every day, I shall simply stare at a tree, a flower, a cloud, or a person, which probably was a bit more awkward, but he would stare at one of these things. I shall not then be concerned at all to ask what they are, but simply be glad that they are. What would it look like if you just took a time each day? Maybe you're out on a walk, maybe you're in your backyard, but just start looking, looking at the tree, looking at the plants, looking at your dog, looking at something that God has made, and just attending to it and allowing yourself to respond in gratitude. Or, or one other idea, maybe we should pay attention more to what we eat. Like maybe some meal or maybe a couple meals this week actually try to imagine the story of how this food that you are eating got here. Think about the story of the plants, of how they were farmed, of how they grew, of how the sun and the water nourished them. Think of the story, and this might feel a little weird, but think of the story of the animal that you are eating that once was alive. And recognize the processes that it took to get to your plate. And at the end of your meal, after you maybe have thought about it, or if you're in a group, you can talk about it together. Spend some time giving thanks. There are a number of different ways. But the question that I'm wanting us to ask is, how can we kind of reverse what's happening in this world and allow ourselves to pay attention and to give thanks? You know, Romans says that, kind of in some ways, the very heart of the mistake that humanity has made is even though the world makes it clear who God is, we do not honor him or give gratitude to him. 